0: Later, when, the, when we took our own kids, or maybe some high school kids, but I, I don't think I ever went to a summer camp until I was, I might have gone a couple times, and maybe once at 17, but not very often. But I remember when we'd take the kids to camp, and, or we would take a, a high school group to camp, and you know, it was, it was nice, right? It, it was nice to get away from the world, it was, it was nice to live in a constant atmosphere. Of, of just, uh, of a spirituality, of godly music, of good preaching, of godly fellowships and friendships, and, and sometimes if you go back to the same camp, and you'd see him the next year, and it was exciting, and it was a wonderful place to be, and camp was great, and, uh, <clears throat> but you know, that really isn't the life that God wants from us on a constant basis, is it? Those are those mountaintops that we need, but as you, as we know, and we've learned, we don't live in the mountaintops, we live in the valleys, and so we have been commanded to go out. We've been commanded to preach. We've been commanded to make uh, disciples. And God didn't intend for us to live a life of escape. He wanted us to live our lives in the midst of the people to bring other people to Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. If we are not allowed to escape life, how, is it that, how are we going to be able to live life Unsullied by the world, yet at the same time, still making a difference in the world. If God's not going to let us go live on a compound somewhere, or go live in a cave somewhere, or go escape somewhere and create this little Christian utopian that everything's perfect, if God's not going to allow us to do that, and He's going to say, no, you're going to live in the midst of all of the muck and the mire, how do we do that, right, in victoriously... Uh, and still reach a world that He wants us to reach. Well, I want to look at that tonight, and the title of the message tonight is about rest. Resting while you wait. There is rest for us while we are waiting for Christ to come. If you remember from last week, we were taught here in uh, the first uh, couple verses here, to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ, right? To arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. There is nothing that kills the work of God like sin. Nothing. You might have known somebody that got a diagnosis of cancer. They get this diagnosis, or maybe it's not cancer, maybe it's but it's something that is something that is terminal. They get a diagnosis, and and it's like life stops for them. Depression, uh, self loathing. Apathy, fear, lack of motivation, all of these things can come in when the, when, the, when the doctor calls and says, here's what it is, right? It just seems to stop everything. Well, you know, Have you ever noticed in the Christian life, the same thing happens with sin. Sin gets into our life. Instead of being busy about doing the work of God and busy doing what God has called you to do and reaching people, we get sidetracked. Sin comes in the life and you'll get sidetracked. You'll get sidetracked with depression. You'll get sidetracked with self-loathing. You'll get sidetracked with discouragement and with fear and things like that, all because of sin. And so we saw last week that the way to combat sin in our life is by arming ourselves with the mind of Jesus Christ. So what was the mind of Christ? Philippians chapter 2. Let's go back. We've got to read it one more time. Philippians chapter 2. You know how this goes. Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Uh, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion of man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So we saw last week the mind of Christ is that if we are going to live with the mind of Christ, we are going to live as a servant. We are going to live in humility. We are going to live in obedience. We are going to live in suffering. And suffering, If we're going to live in a sin-cursed world, we're going to have to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. And it said here in verse 1, remember this? Uh, those uh, in, in chapter 4 and verse 1, it said this. If you arm your... Uh, uh, arm yourselves likewise with the mind of Christ, for he that has suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. It's like a light switch that goes on and off. If the switch is on and you're living like a servant, you're living in humility, you're living in obedience, you're living in suffering. If those things are operating in your life, right, sin can't operate at the same time that those are operating. And so we saw this is how we arm ourselves uh, against the, the wickedness of the world that we are living in. We're living in a wicked world. But you know, there's good news. There really is good news. We're getting closer to the end. Amen. We are getting closer to the end. But you know what? The good, There's good news. We're getting closer to the end. You know, uh, we're going to see him very soon, right? But the bad news is the closer we get to the end, the worse and worse it's going to get. This is what the Word of God has told us. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We know that 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 is one of the marks as we get closer to the end. uh, To the end of the end, right? Listen to Matthew 24, uh, verse 9 through 12. Then shall they deliver you up and be afflicted and shall kill you. Okay? Okay. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Uh, The closer we get to the end, the more we will see a falling away. Not only of the wickedness of the world, but the falling away of believers. Second Thessalonians two and verse three, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come. Remember here when Paul was writing to Thessalonians, people were going around saying, "Well, Christ has already come. He's already come back." Right? This is this view of these in eschatology, these preterists. They believe Jesus came back spiritually in, at, at seventy A.D. and but uh, well, he didn't. And Paul's even writing the Thessalonian church saying, "Don't don't let anybody deceive you about this." Right. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Verse Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And so we see here that as we get further and further down the road, we get closer and closer to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, no, we're thankful that we're, the good news is we're going to see Him soon, but the bad news is we're living in a bad world. And it's going to get worse. It's not getting better. I know there's people out there that think there's going to be a great end time revival. And things are getting worse. And these groups of Christian nationalists think that uh, you know Christian, Christianity is going to be brought back to rule the United States of America. And I'm, I, I believe from the word of God that that's not happening. It's not going to happen. It's going to get worse. Do you know the, the we, we saw this in the New Testament Uh, Right, the writers, those that were writing the New Testament, believed this very same thing that it was soon, that the end was near. Notice what Peter says here in our text in verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. Peter believed the end was close. Now, Peter did know, based upon what Jesus told him, he was going to die before he came. He told him, you're going to go where you don't want to go. You're going to be taken where he knew he was going to die, but he still understood that what, that the end was near. How did he understand this? Why would he come to this conclusion? And actually, let me say this. What does it mean when he says the end is at hand? Does it mean it's a year away? Well, obviously not. This was 2000 years ago. Well, does it mean that they missed it and they didn't see it for what it was? And they were just a little confused. No, let me show you something. Acts chapter 11, if you'll remember Acts chapter 11, the Lord Jesus Christ is on the Mount of Olives, okay? He has all of the apostles with him, right, except Judas. He has the apostles with him, 11 of them, and they're asking him about the end times, and Jesus answers them with their questions and says, tarry ye at Jerusalem until you be endued with power. Why do he tell them that? Well, listen, they had already been trained by Jesus. They had already gone out two by two. They'd done a little bit of, of, uh, 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 of a sample work of soul winning. They've watched him heal. They've watched him preach. They listened to the message. And they are ready to carry on what Jesus started, right? But he tells them, just wait in Jerusalem for a little while until you get the indwelling power, the indwelling spirit of god and and so he tells them to to wait there and then in verse eight he tells them, and he reminds them that um, that he tells them ye shall be witnesses uh ye, I'm sorry. And Acts 1, eight, and ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. So after he tells them these things, and tells them, to, and he prepares them the very last time, these are the last words they hear from Jesus on this planet, right? The last words, there he is. The Bible says that as he was there, he began to take up from them. And a cloud took him up, and took him up into heaven so the bible says that they stood there and they watched him acts chapter 8 you can go see this he's or acts chapter 1 that they stood there and they watched him so catch i mean i don't know if you could visualize this jesus is all of a sudden he's there in front of them in body and he's going <laughs> up he goes you know what they're doing What does it say? The Bible says they watched him go. That word watch is interesting. Because watch, we we find out what it means. That word watch means what they were doing, watching. We found out what it means by what the angels say. Because after they're doing this, watching them go away, two angels show up and they said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into the sky? The same Jesus, I like that, it's the same Jesus, Right, which Jesus are they talking about? Well, the one who was born of a virgin, the one who lived a sinless life, the one who went to Calvary, the one who was who was who died on on the cross and who was buried and rose again, the one who walked forty days after his resurrection on this planet, the one who healed, the one who uh, the one who uh, cast devils out, the one who uh, preached, the one that same Jesus. The angel says, "Why stand ye gazing in the skies?" This same Jesus, right. As you've seen him go up in like manner shall come again. So now notice this. They were watching him go up. What were they doing when they were watching? How were they watching? Hey, have you ever let a balloon go? Have you ever given a balloon to a little kid in three seconds after he has it? He goes, ah! <laughs> what does everybody do? How are you watching? Watch You're watching knowing it's not coming back. (laughs) Dumbfounded. You're watching knowing, uh uh-oh. You're watching knowing you're never going to see that thing again. It's gone, yeah, it's gone. Hold on, this is how the disciples were watching. How do you know that? Because the angel said, why stand you gazing into the sky? The same Jesus, he's coming again. Don't look like he's never coming back. Like, where'd he go? That's not how we're. He is coming. He is coming back again. He absolutely is. But so watch this. What marks the end times? What marks the end times is the time period from the time he went up back to go back into heaven to the time that he comes back. Those are the end times. So whether it's. Now now granted they all lived expecting Jesus to come why because they said he's coming back the angel said he's coming back the Holy Spirit of God as they wrote scripture said he's coming back but but listen uh, it, it, it wasn't a mistake on their end right He was coming back what marks the so so watch the end times doesn't mean okay here's a thousand years then the last 500 years that get really really bad well that's the end times no. What marks the end times is anything after Jesus Christ to the time that he returns. So watch, it may be another five years. It may be another 50 years. Hey, listen, friend, it might be 500 years, 1,000 years. You say, oh, that sounds like you don't believe he's coming back. No, I absolutely believe he's coming back. Amen. But, but listen, what marks the end times right, is the period that he is, was here and has left and is coming back. That's the end times. And so they're not, they didn't mess it up here. Peter didn't miss it. He wasn't confused like, oh, 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 wow, I, I, yeah, oh, maybe we're not the end times. He says, but the end, end, end of all things is at hand. That means, watch, it's imminent in everybody's lifest- lifetime. Jesus Christ could come back. Right. It's always at hand. And we're taught to live expectantly, expecting that and waiting uh, for that. And so here it is. Uh, this is the end times. We're living in the so. What's this mean? We're living in the end times today. Why? Because he hasn't come back. Is he coming? Yes, he's coming, but he hasn't come back yet. So, they were receiving the promise in real time. Right? They were receiving it. The angels spoke to them personally. No wonder the apostles and the early church believed Jesus was returning in their lifetime. Right? Because they believed in the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the next thing on our calendar, right? It is not the birth of Jesus. It already happened. Not the crucifixion. It already happened. Not the resurrection. It already happened. It's the second coming of Jesus Christ, right? So the good news is that his coming is at hand. He's coming back. The bad news is the world's waxing worse and worse. And until he returns, it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. So good news and bad news. See, here's some bad news. As the end is getting closer, well, maybe it's not bad news. Maybe this is necessary news. This will help you tonight. As the, as the end of the world is getting closer, as the world is growing worse and worse, listen, the more we need each other, the more, you remember Crimson Avenue Baptist Church? The members need each other. That's right. You need each other. Have you ever heard it said? I know I, I was thinking about this. It's got to be politically incorrect somehow. I'm sure if this gets online, okay. uh, some uh, some feminazi is going to go nuts over it. But uh, whatever. All right. But it's just the saying, right? You've heard it. A man's house is his castle. It's his castle. Why? Well, <coughs> his queen's there. It's a place of safety. It's a place of comfort. It's a place of security. It's a place of identity. It's a place of belonging and acceptance. It's a place of love in, in, in its perfect sense, okay? All right. So, so what's so good about, about your home, man or woman? What's so good about your home? Well, when you've gone to work and you've battled the world, you can come home. When you've been out on the road and you've driven to St. Louis and back and, and watched all the craziness between there and back, you can go home. Right? You can go home. Right. It's 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 where you should go to be able to find a place of refuge. And you see, as we watch the world that we're living in, as it's waxing worse and worse, while the onslaught of Satan roars ahead. Right. Our our, our homes should be a place of thick walls and deep moats to keep the filth of the world out, right? Hey, listen, it's one thing to battle on a battlefield. It's a terrible thing to battle from your living room or your dining room or your bedroom. you right. No, the, the, your home needs to be a safe place. Let me say this before I make the application to the church here. Your, your home should be a haven. The world shouldn't have pro, pro, uh, uh, prominence in our home the filth of the world shouldn't take over our home. You know what should take over our home? I mean, the word of God should be everywhere. It should be what, what comes in there. You know what that makes it makes it a refuge from the world. Hey, we get all the junk we want out there we uh, out there that we don't want. You don't want it. Why would you want it in your house? Right? Why would you want to come home to that filth It's bad enough you've got to deal with it on a daily basis. It It should be a refuge and a safety, a safety from the world, a safety from the filth of the world. But say, listen, the church of Jesus Christ should be a place of refuge as well. It absolutely should. See, this is why we don't want the world in here. This is why I, I gripe and scream and, and foam at the mouth about things like what music we play and what, what type of things we sing and what we read and what we preach from and what we preach about and what we uh, allow in here um, uh, for in, in different ways. I mean, we're careful. Why? This is a refuge. Watch. But watch, 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 watch. If it's in your life, now it's in the church. Sorry. It is. See, the, we we don't want the world's philosophies in here, but if they're in our life and heart, they're going to be in the church. We don't want the filth of the uh, of the music of this world in here, but if it's in your heart and mind, it's in the church. We don't we we, we don't want the uh, you know just the 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 heart of greed and selfishness and lust and backbiting and gossip. Well, we don't want that in here because this is supposed to be a refuge. But if it's in our life, then it's in here. See, and this is listen. This is where we get to escape. I feel sorry for those. I mean, I guess they don't, they, you know, the Bible says they love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And you look at the average church out there today, a majority of them are dark inside. They look like the world. They sound like the world. They got the rock music like the world. They gyrate and dance like the world. They're dressed like the world. I guess they just love darkness still. I, I don't know I don't, I don't how anybody filled with the Spirit of God could enjoy that and find peace and joy and a refuge in that. Not at all. Yeah. I'd rather find a refuge with 10 people in a place where God's at Amen. than the anxiety being around the world with 10,000 people there are jumping all over the place, right? Amen. We're fighting enough battles in the world every single day. We shouldn't have to fight them within the walls of our own church. Yeah. So in the next five verses, we're going to be given six areas that make our church a place of refuge instead of a war zone. Yeah. Six things. Look at verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch under prayer. That word sober, you remember uh, Peter is going to use it again in 1 Peter 5.8. 5, 5, be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Peter was well acquainted with sleeping on the job. Peter was well acquainted with, with the tragedy that comes when we're not watching and waiting. If you remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the disciples were with him, he told them, watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. That word watch there means to take heed, lest through remission and indolence, some destructive calamity suddenly overtakes one you say what does that look like i have a habit when i go into a restaurant i kind of jokingly say i'll watch the door sit in a chair so i can see the door you got to see who's coming in right i don't know what i would do if something bad happened i don't but i just i'm watching i'm watching what am i watching I'm watching for anything negative going on. If anybody has any uh, background in, 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 uh, in military and they're into some, you, you'll watch them if they've spent a long time. You'll watch them or, or if they're prison guards or if they're policemen or something like that. military, You'll watch them. They, they live a life of watching. They're always looking at their surroundings. Always watching what's going on around them. Always looking for a note of danger somewhere. Right? That is how we're to live our life. But to be sober, listen, you can't watch when you're sleeping. Here's another thing we sure take for granted. Do you realize we zone? We have no idea what's going on in the world around us for four to six to eight hours a night, and don't even think of a safety issue. I mean, it's, it's amazing. We don't. Think, we're so used to sleeping, we don't even think about what could go wrong while we're just zonked out and have no idea what's going on in the world, right? But you know, what I was saying, you can't watch when you're sleeping. I know the westerns, right? They sleep with an eye open, and the guns are right there. I know, but that's not real. Right? Okay. I I hate to burst your bubble there. You thought Tom Mix really did stuff like that. No, he didn't. But uh, it was Tom Mix, wasn't it? Anyway. But we watch. What happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? They They slept. They slept instead of praying and watching. Why? He said, lest you fall into temptation. What happened to Peter? Well, he fell into temptation. You know, if he had watched and prayed in the garden when Jesus told him to, not only could he have heard what the conversation that Jesus was having with the Father, which I think I would have loved to have heard, he could have prepared himself for this temptation that was coming. So we're told, if we're going to listen, if this church is going to be a place of a refuge, we have to live a life of watching and praying, watching for danger. We're looking uh, Sunday night at the at the armor of of, of uh, that we have in this battle that we're in. And, uh, you know, we have, to, we, have to have this, we have to have this armament, but we live a life because we're on a battlefield. We've got to watch. There's danger. There's temptation. He says, watch unto prayer. Watch unto prayer. Watching and praying, Matthew 26, you can go back and look at that, Matthew 26, 41, watching and praying to, to prevent succumbing to temptation. Right. Listen, saints, it's the end times. Right. The end times they're, These days are days of danger and we need to be living lives, watching and praying for ourselves and for each other, ourselves and each other. Right. Notice verse eight above all things. Verse eight. And above all things that word above. See that above all things. It's one word that means that that means before as in superiority. The first thing you got to do. Above everything else, we're not talking about watching and praying. Now we're going through a list here. Above everything else, right? Bef- above all things, have fervent charity. One to another. Yeah. Fervent. That word fervent means stretched out or intent. This is, watch, this is charity that's not just a one time. It's not a charity like, well, I was I was I was uh, you know, I was loving for about fifteen minutes. I got my I got my dues in. Yeah, yeah, no, this is a lifestyle. This is a pattern. This is watch with intent. With intent, above all things, fervent charity. Now that that word charity is the word agape right it's, it's, so, it's the word for love that we use for God's love, that God loves us with an agape love. That word agape it means love without return, but not only that, it means love knowing, knowing that the recipient can't return. That's why the translators of the King James Bible translated this correctly as charity. That's an accurate word because it's beyond just... A phileo or eros or just loving, like we'd say, I love ice cream and I love Tonka trucks and I love to sew and I love whatever, right? It's beyond that. This is that word saying, I have chosen that person out to love them, knowing they're not seeking return. And on top of that, knowing there's no possible way that they can return. That's how we're supposed to love one another. Do you know if we love one another that way? it'll make this church a refuge in the middle of a battlefield. It'll be somewhere you can run to. Right? We, listen, when, when, we, when we assemble, when we get together, whatever we do, when we're at each other's houses during the week, whatever it is, right, it should be a refuge. It should be a... Oh, You ever get home at the end of the day and go... Oh, whew, yeah, it's wonderful. That's what it should be around each other. How does it get that way? Well, we got to love one another. Charity. You see this? Charity. Notice what it says. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Yeah. Do you know if you see the homeless man begging on the side of the road and you don't want to help him, you'll notice everything negative about him. Look at those shoes. Those look way too new. (laughs) That's what I'm like. How'd he get those shoes? Certainly. Certainly this is a big scam and he doesn't need any money, right? But some people will pull up and they'll look on him with compassion and love and they'll overlook every negative thing and all they want to do is help. See, love covers a multitude of sins. If we love one another, what's going to happen? We're going to look over a lot of the little uh, idiosyncrasies and little weird things we do and oddities and things and that. You don't even see them anymore. Right? Somebody, goes, somebody goes, well, they're kind of weird. You go, really? I didn't see that. Why? How does that happen? Well, well, you know, you've come to the place of loving them. That's how, we are. This is how this church will be a refuge. Look at verse 9. Not only charity, look at verse 9. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. What does hospitality mean? It, it, it is the act of being generous to your guests. You ever go to a house when you're not sure they want you there? Brother Martin was like, yeah, I was just there Friday. And... <laughs> uh, my brother said he was on deputation one time, and the the got to the, these people's house in the church that they were staying at, and. Uh, he had uh, picked him up from the church, I guess, my brother and his wife, the four kids, brought him home, got to the guy's house, and heard, uh, brought him upstairs to a room and shut him in this room, and heard his, his uh, the husband and wife just fighting over something. She was not happy they were there. I guess he had volunteered, and maybe she didn't know, and, oh, it was, Chris like, yeah, it was pretty weird, and then later in the night, he comes up, and you guys want some popcorn? Okay. I mean, that was the end of it, man. I mean, shut the door downstairs, just you're in your room. I was like, that wasn't hospitality. That was not hospitality. That was, a, that was a rough, rough time. That was a rough go. And then you'll go to somebody else's house, right? And it looks like Thanksgiving, and it's just lunch in the middle of March, right? It's What's that? That's hospitality. Hospitality. It's, it's generosity. Right? It's breaking out the good silverware. It's bringing out the nice stuff. It's like, okay, we actually got water out of the filter system. We didn't fill up from the hose or anything like that right? in, uh, in plastic cups. Oh, uh, there's a time for that. Don't get me wrong. you know, I do a Fourth of July cookout. But I'm just saying, I'm showing you illustrations. Hospitality. Hey, if we want the church to be like a refuge for us, we've got to treat one another with hospitality. Yeah. Look at what he says. Not grudgingly. What does it mean to begrudge, to begrudge something? That's a secret debate. That's a secret displeasure. That's a grumbling. It's hey, glad to see you. And if you could catch him turning around, you go, mm. you'd see him drop. Right? No. You have hospitality not because you have to. It goes back to the first one, but because you love one another. See, these build. These build on one another. Look at verse ten. If you're tired of that one, look at verse ten. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister to the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What, ha- what is the gift that we've received? Right. Maybe Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What have we, what have we been gifted? Well, we've been gifted eternal life. We've been gifted the life that Jesus has that never ends. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. We receive the gift of God, the gift of salvation out of his grace and out of his mercy. So you know what Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, 8? He tells us to heal the sick. He was telling his apostles, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Listen to this. Freely ye have received... Freely give. I think that applies to us today. We have freely received. You know what we ought to do? Freely give. Freely give. This is what we do on Saturday mornings. When you go out and you knock doors, you know what? You're freely giving what you have freely received. This is what we do when it warms up and out on Thursday nights. You freely give what you have freely received. Look at this as good stewards. God has given us a gift that is to be used. We're responsible for how we use what God has given us. We need to use that as good stewards. So we need to minister in the same way that God ministered to us. Who do we minister to? Each other. Yeah. And the lost. Yeah. Yeah. To, to every, everybody. Notice verse 11. So we're going to move on. Here's the next one. So we have charity, we have hospitality, we have uh, uh, ministering to one another, fr- freely giving as you freely received. Notice this one, speaking with each other as if you're speaking the oracles of God. See that? If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Colossians 4.6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. You see our speech to one another, the way we talk to one another, shouldn't be as the world talks to one another. it should be as we were, we're speaking the very words and oracles of God. Edifying, strengthening. Yeah. Ephesians 4:29, "Let no corrupt communication come out of you, proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You see, if we begin to deal with each other and talk to each other and communicate with each other in the way that Colossians says and the way that Ephesians says, you know what we create here? We create a refuge. Yeah. If we talk with each other like we do, like the world talks with each other, that doesn't help us. Right? There's, no, there's no rest. There's no castle effect here. Right? There's nothing. It's just like everywhere else. Ephesians 4:31:32, "Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil-speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you." You know, I know we have good times. I know we have fun and we jab each other and rib each other and we have fun. Martin takes the brunt of it all. I know that. and he, he enjoys it. He told me he does, and all of these things. But you know, we ought to be careful. We, we should. We should ask the Holy Spirit to temper our words, right? We, we don't want to deal with each other like, like, the, like the guy on the job site does. He's always just, you know, tearing you down and making fun of you all the time and, you know, things like No, we're supposed to edify and build up, right? Listen, it makes, it, makes us a refuge. It makes it somewhere to get out of the world from. So uh, let me move on. Charity, hospitality... Freely give, freely receive. The way we talk. Look at this. If any man minister, right? If any man minister, we we just saw that our speech can minister grace, right? It's not just what a pastor does. Well, you have pastors, you have deacons, you have Sunday school teachers, you have bus workers, you have all sorts of people that are ministering all over the place. Right? How do we minister? Well, minister with the ability that God gave you. Watch and do it for the to the to the end, uh, to the to the end that God would be glorified. Yeah. Not the minister be glorified, but God be glorified. You know, hey you've been out there on the job sites and you've been there in the, in the offices and the corporate offices when everybody's vying for the position and they're vying for power and they're vying to, to get up the corporate ladder and they're trying to get ahead of it. And, uh, it just, it gets frustrating sometimes and almost laughable at times to watch people to spend their whole life and stay after work every day and in work late and all, uh, you know, for, you know, hours upon hours upon hours to get the golden key to the special bathroom. You know, people do this in the corporate world. It's like, well good for you you've neglected your family for six months and now you get to use the special potty good that's wonderful right yeah and uh, but within the church of Jesus Christ we're not ministering listen to gain up get up on the ladder we're not ministering to get a better position we're not ministering to get into more favor with the pastor or the deacons or whoever right whomever we're not doing that. We're ministering and doing what we do to glorify Jesus Christ. What does it mean to glorify? To put on display the attributes of another, the positive attributes of another. We, we do what we do so that the world sees Jesus in this place. So when the lost does, do come in and the visitor does come in, they go, Oh, I don't know what it is, but this is nice. you know growing up our i don't want to say too much but our the home i lived in from about 5th uh, grade on 4th grade on was pretty dysfunctional we'd go to church sometimes you know there's a lot of just a lot of problems and a friend of mine who i just saw hadn't seen in years saw down in florida we had supper together Strangely enough, he said, I always like going to your house because it was so peaceful. I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was calm. It was, I mean, it was, it wasn't, I mean, it was dysfunction, but there's still, it was still calm. And so and he goes, oh, my dad was crazy. He was just crazy. The house was chaos all the time and La- you know, and I thought that was so funny. But he, as crazy as that is, he still, there's still a peace that he sensed there that was, that he enjoyed coming over. You know, you have people's houses. You had friends growing up. You have friends now that you go, and you just like going there. It's peaceful. It's enjoyable, right? No, this is what this should be like right here. This is what it should be like when we go to each other's homes because right. we're the church, right? Yeah. How do we do that? Well, when we attempt to minister to one another and minister to the world to the glory of God and not to the edification and the lifting up and the, and the, and the, and the, and the promoting of ourself. If you'll stay in tune with the Holy Spirit of God, He'll let you know when you're promoting self. Oh, yeah, He will. <laughs> yeah. You'll get little things like, well, that was kind of prideful. <laughs> right? Whoops. Yeah. You See, we're living in the last days. We're living, as Paul wrote to Timothy, we're living in perilous times. Times that are waxing and will wax worse and worse. And like that home... That's a refuge we want, and God wants, I should say, Crimson Avenue Baptist Church. He wants our, within these walls, and He wants, within our homes, He wants it to be a refuge. So how do we make our lives a refuge? How do we make our church a refuge? We be sober. Stay alert. right? The men of Issachar, the Bible said, had an understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. We need to stay alert and aware of what, what's going on in the world. We need to be sober. We need to watch and pray. How is that watching and praying? We saw that when Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, and he went on to say about the steward that was expecting the, the, the return of, of his master and what is watching and praying. But watching and praying is living in a way, expecting, waiting that Jesus is going to return. The master is coming back and we're going to answer to him. And we live in such a way that no matter if the world gets worse and worse, we are doing what we've been told to do. We're just doing our duty as faithful servants, slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ, doing what we ought to do. Be sober, watch and pray. Fervent charity hospitality without grudging, ministering to one another freely, speaking edifying words one to another, ministering according to our ability and for His glory, and so everything that goes to God and not to us. So how is this possible? Well, we said it last week. (laughs) Be a servant. Humility. Obedience. Suffering. Die to self, serve one another, and this church will be a refuge. Father, thank you tonight. Thank you for the clear instruction here. I think everybody here in this room, I know it, I'm almost 100% confident that everybody in this room wants this church to be a refuge. Wants our lives and our homes to be a refuge. To one another and even to the lost world that they might see you and glorify you and so father we ask you to help us to do that lord would you change whatever needs to be changed in us maybe we've gotten grouchy we maybe we've gotten a little grumbly maybe we've gotten to where we haven't been felt real charitable and we haven't felt like we've really wanted to uh be hospitable to one another and lord would you change that in us i'm thankful if you've commanded us to do it you've also enabled us to be that way And Lord, maybe we just need to have a heart change, whatever it is. Lord, we do that work tonight, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand tonight. The piano is going to play, and uh, the altar is open. People are praying. You can come pray. However the Lord has spoken to you. Maybe something else the Holy Spirit brought up during the message that you need to talk to the Lord about. You deal with that. Amen. We're going to be dismissed in a word of prayer, and. Uh...